If you're just joining us, my name's Christopher. I have the joy and privilege of of getting to open up uh, the Psalms with you. If you'd like a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. We'll have some people coming around. We're going to be diving into the Psalms again this evening. We have been in a series here at River West over the summer where we've been opening up the book of Psalms to actually deepen our prayer life to learn how to pray from these great Hebrew poems and prayers that were lifted up to the Lord. And what we've been discovering in the Psalms series is that although by and large in scripture, when, when we see the Lord conversing with his people, by and large, when we look in the Bible, it's usually God that is doing the one, doing the talking and we're the ones that are doing the listening. And in the Psalms, we actually see people conversing and talking with the Lord. And so we've been looking to the Psalms to get a deeper language for how to converse, how to to lift up uh, our hearts before the Lord. And what we have seen so far in this series is that the Psalms, they cover the whole gamut of human emotion. There is literally a Psalm for every situation in life. There's Psalms for the good days where your hearts are filled as we just sung, Jesus, we love you. You're the ones that we, we just adore you, Lord. You're, you're gracious. You're good. There's Psalms that just run over with joy and gratitude. But there's also Psalms for days when our hearts are weighed down with sorrow, uh, with, when we need words to express our wounds, when we feel lonely or we feel betrayed. There's psalms for days where we need language to communicate the awe and wonder and majesty of God, like we saw in Psalm 8 a few weeks ago. And then there's psalms for days where we are struggling to trust the Lord and he feels distant from us. So here's the beautiful thing that you need to know about the psalms. No matter where you're at or what you're facing in life, the Psalms will give you language to communicate where you're at and what you're going through back to God. Now, for the deep feeling saints among us, like King David, who wrote the vast majority of the Psalms that we have in our scriptures, you probably got very excited a few weeks ago when Pastor Adam announced that we're going to be kicking off this summer series in the Psalms. However, for many other folks today, I suspect, I know that prayer can be a real struggle. In fact, few disciplines in the Christian life, in my experience, are as difficult and demanding as learning to pray. And the truth is, this struggle doesn't just exist for immature Christians or those that are weak in faith. In fact, some of our greatest saints in Christian history have confessed their struggles with learning how to pray, with being devoted to prayer. Listen to the words of a Puritan writer named John Bunyan who wrote The Pilgrim's Progress. Listen to the way he described his own personal struggle with prayer. He said, may I but speak from my own experience and from that tell you the difficulty of praying to God as I ought. It is enough to make you entertain strange thoughts of me 
For as my heart, when I go to pray, I find it so reluctant to go to God. And when it is with him, so reluctant to stay with him that many times I am forced in my prayers. I ran to another quote by uh, a Puritan preacher, which by the way, we actually, uh, in our congregational prayers, the Puritans are these giants of prayer. I mean, we pray many of their prayers and our services together because they're so deeply connected to, to God's character and his goodness. I love the Puritans. I, I read a quote from one Puritan preacher that he said, some days I tell you the truth, I would rather die than pray. And I went, man, now that is a gross overstatement. You know, the, the Puritans, he may have like taken it over the top there, but I think he was trying to express that prayer can be a struggle. Prayer can be something where, where we feel like we don't have the words that we need. And many times we don't have the longing that we need to go to the Lord in prayer. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there? Have you ever, like Bunyan confessed, found your heart so reluctant to go to the Lord, to stay in his presence that your prayers felt forced? Let me confess something to you, even though this confession may make you entertain strange thoughts of me. <laughs> Some days when I wake up, I don't want to pray. There you have it. Some days prayer is a struggle and I find within me that same reluctance to go to God that Bunyan had. On those days, friends, let me tell you, that's when the Psalms come alive for me personally. Not only on days where I'm grateful and eager to go to God in prayer, but for the dry days as well. When God feels distant and my desire to pray is waning, that's when I open up the Bible to the Psalms and these words come alive for me. So if you will, open up a psalm that we already lifted up to the Lord together in our time of worship, Psalm 63, and read with me again, reflect on these great words, this honest outpouring of David's heart to the Lord in Psalm 63. A psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. 
your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exalt, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. This is God's word. As we look tonight at Psalm 63, I want to share with you three reasons to open up the Psalms when you find yourself struggling to find the discipline or desire to pray. Three reasons that you should always open up a psalm like this. And here's reason number one, that we should always open up the psalms when we struggle and don't want to pray, we should go to the psalms. Reason number one is the psalms awaken and deepen our desire for God. You know, an important thing to understand about the psalms is that although the psalms give us a language to go to God in prayer, and they deepen and stretch the language and the vocabulary that we can communicate our hearts to the Lord, they don't just give us a language to go to God. They give us a longing to go to God and to pray. And so although this may seem counterintuitive, one of the best times to open the Psalms and to pray these words is when you don't want to. Because as we actually open up the Psalms, the desire of the Psalm writer, inspired by the Holy Spirit, it catches fire with the tinder of our own hearts when we feel dry and disconnected from God. And we walk away with a deeper longing to pray and be with the Lord than we had before. You know, many times I think when we imagine that the biblical writers and, and the psalmist David as he penned many of these psalms, I think we imagine, you know, that, that he's just aglow with, with the glory of God and, and that he's in a place where he's undisturbed by the things of life. And what you need to know that as David penned this, this psalm, he was in a, a place where he felt dry and disconnected from God when he offered up this prayer. In fact, we have a hint of that because we're given an insight into the backstory of this psalm. Above the first verse, you see that script right there is actually in the original Hebrew, and it tells us that this is a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. So I think I have a a picture here of the wilderness of Judah, and look at that right there. I mean, it looks like a dry and weary land where there is no water. And he's literally in a place that gets less than two inches of rainfall a year, and he goes to the Lord in prayer, and he essentially says, that's what my soul feels like right now. Throughout the Psalms, one of of the things that just really sews the Psalms together is throughout the Psalms, we see the Psalm writers just communicating their insatiable desire and longing for a deep connection with God. And so as David prays and he says, Lord, 
You are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land with, where there is no water. We see in this passage and many others just this unfiltered confession of, of the psalm writer's desire for the Lord. But when David wrote this, he felt dry and he felt dis- distant from the Lord. And so he confessed that to the Lord. David, who is the master of metaphor, uses this same metaphor of, of a dry and weary land, of an arid landscape to communicate the condition of his soul in Psalm 143, verse 6. It'll be up on the screen to the right in the Psalms. Look at the way that David described his spiritual condition. He said, I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. This is the prayer of somebody that inwardly goes, Lord, I am dry and I'm longing for you. I desire you, but I feel parched. Elsewhere, famously in another thirsty psalm, Psalm 42 in verses 1 and 2, David communicates the same longing back to God and says, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you. Oh God, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Sometimes when you wake up and you feel disconnected and you feel dry, the best thing that you can do is open up the Psalms to a place like Psalm 63 or Psalm 42 and communicate the dry condition of your soul back to God. Communicate your thirst, your longing back to him. And the Psalms help us do that. You know, I don't know if you've ever had a situation in life where you were deprived of water for a long time. Have you ever been in a situation where you've actually been dehydrated and you're actually beginning to die of thirst. Now, living in the West, uh, as I looked back and, and tried to consider, have I ever been in a situation where I haven't just been thirsty, but the kind of thirsty that J- David must have experienced in the wilderness of Judah in the desert, I don't think I've actually ever been on the edge of dying of thirst in my life. It's hard to be in the kind of condition David was in when your garage is stockpiled with coconut LaCroix. We not only have access to water, we have like access to different variations of water. Do you want still water? Do you want tap water? Do you want coconut LaCroix? Are you a Pamplemousse fan? We have, we're surrounded by water. We have bubblers in our city. Somebody would have to be intentional actually to go out and deprive themselves of water. But David is a different kind of thirsty. You can see that that his tongue is sticking to the roof of his mouth as he prays, Lord, my soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you. That's how desperate I am, Lord, to encounter you, to come before you. Did you know what actually happens when you're body is deprived of water for a few days. I can't tell you from personal experience, but I've watched enough episodes of Man vs. Wild to speak with some semblance of authority on this matter. Here's what actually happens. You go crazy. 
you go crazy. Your body begins to revolt psychologically and physically against you. Psychologically, you actually begin to see water everywhere. You begin to see mirages and water where there actually is no water. And then physically, your body snaps into this mode where it will do absolutely anything, even revolting things, to actually satiate this thirst that you're experiencing. It's why on every episode of Man vs. Wild, after three days of being out in the desert heat, you see Bear Grylls take off one of his sweaty socks and he finds some mud and then he puts the mud in his sock or he fashions some type of like weird, gross filtration thing. And then you watch him and he just wrings the water out of this mud and drinks it down. And as you're drinking your coconut LaCroix, you're like, oh, that's so gross. I would never do that. We're entertained by weird things, aren't we? we you know, we just have, we watch people surviving out in, in the desert. But the truth is, if you were in a situation where your body was deprived of water long enough, you would do that too. That's how David describes his condition. He, it's not only a soul condition. He says, my soul thirsts for you. But he actually says, my body faints for you. My whole body, head to toe, I need you like a man that's dying of thirst in the desert needs a drink of water. That's the condition of David's heart and soul when he penned the words of Psalm 63. He's dry, he's thirsty. This is the prayer of a desperate man. I don't know if any of you have ever been in a place where you've come to the end of yourself. You've been rubbed raw by life and you go before the Lord and with the Psalm writer David, you confess to God, God, what I need more than anything else in life right now is you. God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. In fact, did you notice in Psalm 63, the article you, the word you in the psalm, it's just repeated as David communicates his desire. It's absolutely clear that what he wants and will settle for nothing less is an appointment, an encounter with the living God. As he says, my soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. My soul clings to you. God, it's your right hand that upholds me. It's you I need. No, friends, the sad fact is, is that so many of us, myself included, we spend so many of our days trying to quench our thirsty souls in something other than God. Something other than God. You know, in the book of Jeremiah, God communicates and expresses his, his perception of the condition of his people Israel in Jeremiah 
chapter 2, verse 13, listen to the way that God describes you and I and our human condition in verse 13 of chapter 2 of Jeremiah. The Lord says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And what's convicting about this passage as it describes our condition together is that sin always actually involves two parts. One is a willful rejection of God. That's the part of the verse where the Lord says, my people have committed two evils against me. The first evil is they've rejected me. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living water. So they've said no to me. But then the second evil is we've dug out our own wells. We've dug out our own cisterns. But the only problem is, although we try to fill those cisterns with things like success and wealth and popularity and entertainment and sex and romance and physical beauty and exercise, no matter what you put in that cistern, the Lord says, but it's a leaky cistern that's not designed to satisfy our souls, and it will always leak, it will always let us down. As I look back on my life, I I see that that same bent in me to, to just look for something other than God to satisfy my thirsty soul. Not always in things that are inherently sinful, But anytime we look to quench our thirst in something other than God, the Bible calls that thing that we're looking to an idol. And every idol in the end is a leaky cistern that cannot quench our soul's desire for the living God, for life, for love, for acceptance. Only God can truly slake our thirst and satisfy us, friends. Amen? Amen. Which brings us to the second reason that you and I, we should open up the Psalms on days where we feel dry, when we're struggling, is the Psalms, more than any other book in the Bible, they usher us into living communion with God. As Adam mentioned at the outset of this series, the primary purpose of the Psalms is not to teach us or just impart to us abstract principles about God. Although the Psalms have rich theology that they're trying to teach us more than anything, the aim of the Psalms is to bring us into intimate, soul-satisfying, personal communion with God Almighty. And the more that we pray the Psalms, the more we begin to address God, not that he's a distant God out there or a force that exists, who's a benevolence on high. We begin to pray like David and address God and simply say, God, you are my God. 
If you want a communion where God is your God and there's a closeness, the Psalms are the place that we should regularly turn to to foster that intimate, soul-satisfying communion with God. And what I love about Psalm 63 is although it's poetic, it's profound, it's also deeply practical. Because in this Psalm, David actually teaches us, gives us a window into how he fostered his relationship and communion with God. So he offers us two practical things that we can do that will enrich our connection with God on a daily basis. And the first one is this. It's the habit of morning and evening prayer, of bookending your day with times of honest, earnest prayer. Perhaps you notice in verse 1 when David prayed, O God, you are my God. Earnestly, David says, I seek you. What's interesting about that word earnestly is in Hebrew, it's literally the word for dawn, for daybreak. And so in some translations, uh, the editors and translators will translate verse 1, Oh God, you are my God, early I seek you. It's this picture of David prioritizing his communion with God, his time with God, and, and seeking him first before he seeks other things. But then we see later on in the Psalms that David not only began his days in communion and prayer with God, seeking him early, seeking him earnestly, but also actually bookending his day with a time of evening reflection and prayer. And so in verses 5 and 6, David says, When my soul is satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips, when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. And so the simple habit of each day opening up the Psalms and beginning our day by reading a Psalm, making that Psalm our prayer, going to the Lord, committing our day to him, beginning our day by saying, God, you're my God this day. Lord, today I'm seeking you. And Lord, I'm living in a dry and weary land, I'm in a dry place, and I realize there's no water apart from you. Father, I, I need you. I need to experience your love today. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Lead me, committing our day to the Lord. And then at nighttime, the habit of rehearsing our day with the Lord and meditating on his goodness. Rehearsing our day with God as, as we close our day, looking back over our day and thanking God for the ways that he showed up, for the provisions that he made. Asking him to forgive us for, for the ways that we went off in our day, for the things that we sought to satisfy our thirst other 
than him. The simple habit of using the Psalms to bookend our day can revolutionize your personal prayer life. But the second thing that David actually instructs us to do to enhance our communion with God is he talks about the priority and the place of corporate worship. So this psalm, although David talks about about his morning and evening prayer habit, he also talks about the importance of corporate worship and how it impacts our communion with God. And so in verse 2, we read where David says, So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. And the truth is, in the Christian life, we need both personal communion with God and actually corporate worship. And if you try to live your Christian life without both of those things, it will always feel like you're, you're walking through a desert. Because we need to not only stoke our desire and fuel our communion and connection with God personally, but something unique happens as the people of God gather together in Jesus' name, and he's present among us. God reserves something unique about his power and glory is displayed and manifested when we as the body of Christ do this and gather in the name of Jesus. And it it inspires me that David, at one of his lowest moments in life, as he's out in the wilderness, disconnected from, from actually being able to go to the sanctuary in Jerusalem, what encourages him in one of his most difficult seasons of life is he recalls this moment of corporate worship where he saw the power and the glory of God in a time of corporate worship. Elsewhere, in another thirsty psalm, again in Psalm 42, David, praying out of his desperation, notice how David actually recalls God's glory and goodness, again in a time of public worship, when he's feeling dry, when he's feeling desperate. Read Psalm 42 in verses 1 to 4. Look at what David says about worship here. He says, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. In each of these Psalms, we see David crying out to the Lord and remembering God's glory and goodness in a time of public worship. River West, please pray that the power and the glory and the beauty of Christ in our times as we gather in his name, that the Holy Spirit would create moments where we encounter the living God together 
so that when we're in our own wilderness times and we feel dry and we're struggling, we can look back and remember the goodness of God and it can sustain us when we're struggling. Amen? Amen. What we do when we gather in Jesus' name is so important because we're building up a catalog of memories, of truths, of experiences of God's goodness and glory that will lead us through dark times. You know, I don't know if you and I will ever understand how desperate David was when he lifted up this prayer in the desert and said, Lord, my soul thirsts for you. I've come to the end of myself. When David prayed this desperate prayer, he had literally lost everything in life. His own son, Absalom, had actually organized a coup against David to take over his his throne, and he had put a hit on David's life. And so David had run off into the desert and left behind everything. His family, his wife, his friends, his throne, his possessions, everything out in the desert. And can you imagine how brutal it must have been for David to be on the run from a group of people and assassins that his own son Absalom had organized. So in verse 9 in Psalm 63, when David prays about those who seek to destroy my life, that must have been so painful because it was his own son that was seeking to destroy David's life. In this desperate place, one of the things that shocks me about Psalm 63 is that David does not pray the way that so many many of us would pray in a crisis. He doesn't barter with God. He doesn't try to convince God to give him his life back. He doesn't say, oh Lord, I've tried to be a good king. I've done so many good things. Now I have this one request, God. If you would just bail me out of this and give me my life back. Give me my wife. Give me my family. Give me my throne. Give me my son, Absalom. He doesn't say that. Instead, he says something that all week, it's just been wrecking me. David prays to the Lord and he essentially says, In verse 3 of Psalm 63, David says, Your steadfast love is better than life. So show me your love, and that will be enough. It's almost as if David is at a point where he'd rather die in the desert on the run and lose everything, then go on one minute more in life without the love of God. And friends, in the end, that's where every psalm leads us. That's why we should open up the psalms when we feel dry, we feel desperate, 
we feel disconnected is the Psalms impress upon us our need for a loving Savior. Every single Psalm reveals our need for a Savior who loves us and accepts us and welcomes us. Some thousand years after King David offered this prayer up to God in the desert and cried out to him, the Lord sent his one and only son, Jesus, to seek and to save thirsty souls. And although throughout Jesus' life, many rejected him because he did not have what our world considers power or glory, thirsty people, desperate people, we see them flocking to Jesus everywhere like a moth to a flame. On one such occasion, Jesus, on a hot day, sits down by a well in Samaria and has an encounter with a thirsty woman who's lost a lot in life. She's tried to find satisfaction and her broken cisterns have contributed to her broken story. In tenderness and grace on that day, Jesus offers this woman a drink of water. And I want you to listen to what Jesus says to this woman from Samaria as if it was addressed personally to you this evening. Jesus says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water anymore. Are you there? Are you thirsty? I have the worship team come up here this evening and we're going to respond this evening by going to the table. But before we do, I just want to acknowledge that if you thirst for love and for life, everything that you have ever longed for and look for that your soul has been thirsting for is in the perfect son of God. And because of his sheer grace, we can come and we can drink and receive the life and the steadfast love of God can be yours freely because Jesus paid it all on the cross. He laid down his life for thirsty souls. So if that's where you're at, the greatest news in the world is you can drink and your soul can be satisfied and your parched lips can taste life. Don't leave here thirsty, friends. Because I believe Jesus is saying, come, receive this water. Drink of the love, of the grace, of the welcome, of the forgiveness that I have for you. Don't, don't trust those cisterns. Don't look to that thing that you just think that next thing will satisfy you. It won't, it won't. So tonight I'm going to pray, and if anyone wants to pray, we're just going to have a time here where we confess our thirst 
for the Lord. Perhaps you came in and, and you're just in a place where you're struggling, or perhaps you feel listless and distant from God. Tonight, I believe the Holy Spirit is going to draw us together as a community of faith as we come to the table, receive these elements. So let's pray together. Father, I thank you. You are the fountain of living water. And Father, we must confess together, Lord, that there have been so many days where we've looked to other things to quench our thirst. Father, thank you that through your son, Jesus, you came to give us living water so that all our streams could be found in you, so that our thirsty souls could for the first time in life be satisfied, could find what we've always been looking for, a love that will never leave us or forsake us or let us down. Father, we thank you. We've been reminded tonight, Lord, of of how welcoming you are to people that are desperate and dry. Thank you for your pursuit of us. We pray by the Holy Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would awaken a deeper desire in us, Lord, to come to you daily, to not go each week. Father, just not being mindful of our thirst for you, but we learn to pray out of that thirst and to experience a deep, abiding relationship with Jesus. Have your way with us, Lord, in Christ's name. And all God's people said, amen.